I truly believe that this message series is speaking to some of us directly, that God is stirring up in us a call and a passion to go after some project, some mission, some kind of activity that we have maybe been dreaming about for years. We've had burdens for a long time, and now is the time. So I hope that you came just a little bit ready to hear from God's word today. Um, And so we are in the message series, it's called The Good Work, and it's based on the incredible story of an Old Testament guy named Nehemiah. Um, I want to set up this message by just kind of offering a thought, offering some thoughts perhaps about you, and then we're going to dive into what I believe God is going to uh, be speaking to us about. So here's what I'm guessing about some of you. I'm guessing that there are some of us that have had burdens, desires, and longings in the kingdom of God that we've just been kind of sitting on. And all of a sudden, things have been starting to wake up in our hearts, and we found ourselves with a burden. We found ourselves caring about something in this world in ways that surprise us. Um, It might be a need that you see, that you think maybe someone else needs to be meeting that need, and now you start to be wondering, maybe I need to do something about this. Or maybe there's a group of people that are hurting. Maybe there's those that have been abused. Maybe someone has been neglected. um, And you know that we should be involved to meet that need. Um, So there's probably, for many of you, uh, what we might call that divine burden. Something that disturbs you. Something that upsets you on behalf of God. Something that moves you in a significant way. Um, And here's what I've found. Um, And here's something for myself that I've noticed, and it's this, that the burden you bear often reveals the calling you'll embrace. Let me say that again. The burden that you bear often reveals the calling that you'll embrace. In other words, the things that tend to upset you will often drive or compel you into a ministry or into different areas um, that are unique to your gifting, unique to your heart. Um, And you rarely know when you're in in the front end of something profound and something beautiful. That's the exciting thing about God's kingdom, is that you never know what is in store when you begin to say yes to the different plans that God has for you. So, perhaps you've been bothered by something, or you see a need, and you're leaning into it, considering what do I do about it, and where do I go? And that is the direction of our message today. Um, I believe uh, with the title, you know, The Good Work, today's title is Do the Work, Make a Difference. Do the Work, Make a Difference. Um, I'm just going to give a little bit of a background um, on this character of Nicodemus. So Nicodemus, as many of us know, um, it's, a, it's a book, but one of what you might not know um, is the journey that he was on to get to that point of making a difference in his community. So you go back all the way to um, 587 BC, and we have King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, He was a very evil king, and he led the Babylonian people, and he attacked Jerusalem. He completely destroyed the city, the lifestyle, the culture, the values, the temple was destroyed, and the Babylonians took the Jewish people into captivity. They crushed their spirits. They demoralized them beyond any hope. And they were left there for generations upon generations. 
And then later, fast forward, the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonians. And the Persian Empire has a slightly different perspective. And God is able to work with the Persian Empire in some unique ways. And the Persian Empire allows some of the Jewish people to finally be released from captivity and begin to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their homeland. Now, this is some new information uh, that I didn't share last week, that Matt and I didn't share. The books Ezra and Nehemiah have historically always been considered one book. It's only in recent history that they've actually been separated into two separate books. But the story, the narrative, actually follows uh, the two of them as one. Now, these two books tell the story of three different leaders who received permission from the Persian king to reestablish three crucial elements of Israel. First, there was Zerubbabel. That's always a great name to say. Um, And Zerubbabel, um, he... Um, brought this large group to rebuild the temple, all right? So first, it was the rebuilding of the temple, the place of worship. And after this temple was built, the people that have been around for generations and generations, they actually cried out because it just wasn't the same. God's presence wasn't quite there. It wasn't finished. And then jump forward 50 or 60 years later, and Ezra goes back and he teaches the Torah and he rebuilds the community. He starts trying to get the people thinking like Israelites again. And then we have Nehemiah who comes to rebuild the walls because whether you build a great little nation, if you have no defense, if you have no safety, it could all go to ruin. So despite those first two efforts, there's still no systems, no government, no leadership, no direction, and most of all, there isn't really a lot of hope. Then, after hearing the news of Israel's brokenness, Nehemiah was suddenly brokenhearted for the plight of his people and his city. And I want to tell you again, he was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He was not a contractor. He was a cupbearer to the king. In other words, this guy didn't have the experience for the project that was on his heart. All he had was God-ordained passion. I'd like to tell a story about my dad. And so, my dad is ordinary. And I'm going to put up a picture here in a little bit, um, or maybe it's already up. And uh, this picture, um, it, it requires a bit of warning. Don't look too much if you're kind of underage, because it's really sad. This is a picture of a dead boy. And this is a picture um, in 2015, um, a Syrian, the Syrian revolt. There was conflict, there was violence, there was tragedy. Things were happening, and it was brokenhearted. And my dad saw this photo of a Kurdish Syrian toddler named Alan Kurdi washed up on the Greek shore. And this image captured and grabbed the world's heart, but it grabbed my dad's heart. And he looked at this, and he says, I've got to do something. And that something was he decided to take on the project of uh, sponsoring a Syrian family to come to Canada. He had no clue what that meant. He had no clue what that looked like. He didn't know even the very first steps, but he had a God-ordained passion to see this happen. 
and God, and he goes into prayer, and he starts wrestling with what to do, and then through a series of God-ordained moments at his church, conversation after conversation, things start to open up, and the steps to having um, a Syrian family uh, sponsored to come to Canada to be out of conflict began. You might be bothered by something. You see a need, you're leaning into it, you're considering doing something about it. Or maybe you're just in the early stages of starting and you have no idea um, that you could be in part, in a part of something and in the front end of something very, very special. And you find yourself wrestling, Lord, it, it's, it's, I don't know what to do, it's too big. Your passion is so key. That is the... That is the starting place. And just like Nehemiah, who was, who was a man who didn't, he wasn't a contractor. He just had a passion for it, and he started to go to God. If you were with us last week, we saw that Nehemiah's heart was broken. And the first thing that he did was he sat down and he cried. He wept and mourned and fasted for quite some time, and then he knelt down to pray. And then finally, after prayer, he stood up to act. Because he felt somebody has to do something about this. So how do you do the work? How do you make a difference? And I I just want to give you four thoughts today. Um, And we're going to be very, very practical. And we're going to allow the Spirit of God to empower us to do the work and to make a difference. The first thing that we need to do, number one, is we have to seek God faithfully. We have to seek God faithfully. Again and again and again and again, we'll see that Nehemiah goes before the Lord and he prays and he prays and he prays. And in fact, let me just kind of give you uh, the timeline and so you can understand this. If you, were, if you look in the text, you're going to see that Nehemiah heard the news about his people in the month of Kislev which is kind of November, December, this kind of time frame. And then from that point, for four months, he prayed, he fasted, he cried, he wrestled with all of this. And through that period of time, he is having an intimate relationship with the Lord. He's wrestling through these questions. And so why is he doing this? He understands He understands that God needs to lead his steps, that it's impossible Um, to describe how tricky it would have been for him to know how to come to a king as the cupbearer and bring bad news. Cupbearer's only job was to take burdens off of the king, never to deliver the king any kind of difficult news. So it was a challenge for him. That was just common practice in the Mesopotamian area. You did not bring bad news to the king. And so when he comes into this very difficult place, he's come having prayed, having walked faithfully with the Lord. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, this is what happens. He describes it this way. He says, I had not been sad in the king's presence before, so the king, he noticed, and the king asks Nehemiah, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can't be nothing but sadness of heart. You can actually see the intimacy of relationship between the king and the cupbearer that they've been close enough, around each other enough, that the king is like, hey, you're not okay. And so they're close, and he can tell that he's disturbed in, in spirit. And Nehemiah says to the, or then the king says to Nehemiah, 
What do you want? And then this is an interesting point. Um, how, this happens many times in the story of Nehemiah, that in that moment he says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I, what I hope you'll notice is this, that this wasn't like now like a, a four-day retreat where he was like, okay, I'll come back to you with an answer. He had this moment where instantly he's praying to the Lord. Uh, this was a man who's walking intimately with God, and now he can just talk to God. So I don't know about you, but in my life, I sometimes think of my relationship with God as like a texting relationship. Now, what I mean by that is you go through life and work with me on this image. You, you, you see a thing on, on social media and you like it, you know, a little heart or a little thumbs up, you know, oh, God, good job, I like this, or I like this, or you're reading scripture, a little quick this. Or you're feeling something, so you say, send a quick text, and you just send it off. But building a relationship with, say, a friend through just liking their posts and sending quick text messages is nothing close to actually spending time with them. Today, in our lives, it's really easy for us to have this kind of distant connection with God where we're, you know, you could picture just sending a quick text every once in a while, liking a post here and there. But when's the last time you actually went for coffee, when you actually slowed down and spent time with God? This is critical because what we see in the story of Nehemiah is for months and months and months, he's developing this intimate relationship. And so that when this moment comes, He's already attentive to the presence of God. He just asked, Lord, be with me in this moment. There's nothing too small for God. There's nothing too small. He, he desires to be with us and to walk with us. He cares about all of it, and he cares about the burdens that you carry. And I just want to encourage you to find the time to go and be with him in a more intimate sense, as well as maintaining constant contact with our God. You need to start by seeking God faithfully. God, I need you. God, direct me. God, guide me. For months and months, just like Nehemiah did. Um, I want to tell you this. If prayer isn't necessary for you to accomplish your vision, you aren't thinking big enough. I want to encourage you in that. If your prayer, if it doesn't require prayer, you're not thinking big enough. Because the visions and the burdens that God is placing on all of us are designed to invite him in. And if we don't need to invite him in, that's not what it's about. So we need to allow God to grow and expand our burden and our passion and our calling. You want something big, so full of faith that you need the power of God to come through for you. Or you want something so vulnerable that you need the power of God to shield you um, as you take a risk. So what do you do? How do you do the work? How do you make a difference? The first thing you need to do is seek God faithfully. Secondly, the second thing for you to do is define the vision clearly. Define the vision clearly. Now, I hope you'll understand that for most people, it's not a lack of caring that's your problem. It's a lack of clarity. It's not defining specifically, specifically what it is that you're called to do. It's that challenge of like, I care, but what exactly do I care about and what exactly do I do? I'm sure we've all had this moment in our lives 
um, when you decide that you want to watch something on Netflix. But all you know is you want to watch something on Netflix. You have no idea what. You don't know, do I want drama, comedy? Do I want it to be a TV series? Do I want it to be a documentary? Do I want it to be a movie? Is it something I haven't seen or something I've already seen? And next thing you know, you're just scrolling and just looking at these, like, maybe I'll watch this, maybe I'll watch this, and minutes, maybe hours go by, and you actually never land on watching whatever it is that you wanted to see, because you never knew what you actually wanted to watch. So often we have a desire to go somewhere, a desire to see something happen, but we can't define it well enough, and we don't know how to, do, we don't know how to go forward. Vision is critical. And we see this happen in the life of Nehemiah where he understands. The king asks him, um, I see that you're upset. What do you want me to do? And Nehemiah says in verse 4, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. One sentence, absolute clarity, what did he say? He said, send me to Judah so I can rebuild the walls. Clarity. We need to seek God faithfully to find the vision clearly. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what Nehemiah didn't do. He didn't go up to the king and said, okay, so uh, I, I've got these feelings and I'm working through some things and um, I've got this cousin, his name's Mickey, and he's down uh, in Judah, and he was telling me some things, and I just started thinking about things, and I realized, you know what, I love being a cupbearer, but sometimes I don't, and what I'd really love to do is connect with my family. I was thinking, maybe I'd go on a mission trip, maybe for a little while, maybe a long time, I'm not sure. I want to commit, but not fully, but I, I so what do you think? Like, and so often, we find ourselves not actually being able to articulate what it is that we're looking for what it is that we're asking for. And it's that lack of clarity that kind of muddies the waters. And Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah goes straight for it. He says, I want to be sent back. I want to build the walls. For most of you, it's not caring that's your problem. It's the lack of clarity. So what do you want to do? What is God calling you to do? Some of you are maybe wanting to help children, but how? Which children? In what ways? And it's working through those questions and boiling it down so that you can actually take steps forward. Because if you can't define it, you can't really do it. So if God is calling you to do something, calling you to do a hard work, a good work, and you have a passion and a desire to go for it, but if you don't have clarity, you're going to struggle. So what you need to do is you need to turn to people. You need to turn to the Lord. You need to work through, do the hard work of defining what it is that you're up to, having vision. It might be something like this. I want my lead, my family, to be totally debt-free by 2025, right? It might be that kind of a clarity. Or I want to have a personal conversation by the end of this year with this friend in some way about Jesus, defining it. You know, I want to help these five boys in their journey of 
like discipleship and growth, and I want to make sure that they understand that there can be safety and boundaries and protection for the, the pitfalls and traps of pornography. Because if you don't define it, it's hard to do. You can't do it. So seek God faithfully. Define the vision clearly. And then three, you make plans carefully. Watch how specifically clear Nehemiah is about his plans. In verse 6, he says this, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, okay, so this is like actual decision-making time because the queen is there, and we all know about relationships, who makes choices. And so the queen is there, and he's talking with them, and the question gets asked, okay, what do we do? What's next? And he doesn't go on some long rant about maybe doing a missions trip or maybe going to visit his family or doing this thing once in a while. He's very clear. And then after all of this, he says to the king, if it pleases the king, may I have, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. In other words, will you give me some protection, please, as I make my way down? I need to be given the authority to do this. It's a very clear, thoughtful part of the plan. He made, he worked through that. That was wise. That was so wise because if he didn't do that, who knows what would have happened along the way? Who would have believed him? It's not like uh, an email can be sent down to like the leaders uh, and be like, oh yeah, wait for my guy. He's great. We don't have that situation. He needed these letters. And then he again asks for more letters. He says this, May I have a letter to, to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temples and for the city wall, and for the residence that I will occupy. That is bold. Wow. Could you imagine not like turning to a boss and being like, yeah, you, you can go do that. And he's like, oh, I would really love just, do you have like a password to like, funds so I could just pull out as much money as I need so I can build whatever I want. It's very courageous, but it also is very wise because he's clearly needing to have timber and wood and construction materials to rebuild the gates. He knows that he's doing, he needs that, so he asks clearly for that. He has this plan. So he asks for protection, he asks for provision, and he is very, very clear. I need protection to travel. I need provision to build. And then he says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king grants my requests. And then what does he do? He goes after and he seeks God again. He continually brings God back into this conversation. So you may say it. I want to create a plan, but I don't really know how to have a perfect plan. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? I can't really do this until I have a perfect plan. Everything is worked out. We all, a lot of us fall into that trap. And I just would rather tell you guys this. I would rather us understand that it is better to have a plan that's good today, that has passion, than to have a perfect plan months from now without passion. It's better to have a good plan and go after it right now with passion and heart and energy than to have a perfect plan months and months and months down the road and have no passion, have no heart. And so there might be something going on in your life right now and you're thinking, ah, it's better if I can just plan this out perfectly. I want to encourage you to evaluate it and wrestle. Maybe it's good enough. Maybe I should just take a step. 
Because right now in this season is when I care. Passion is so valuable. So for myself, what I, one of my core plans, one of the things that's important for me in my own planning is this. I try to break it down into this, that I do the next right thing. Yes, there's big plans. There's all sorts of details. But what is the next right thing in my life? What is the next obedient step I can take with the Father in my call and in my journey with him? And I would encourage you to consider the same thing. That, at the very least, what is your next right step? The next move that you can make. Do the next thing rightly, and then you just do it again. And step by step, you will find yourself further and further down the path of doing what God has called for you to do. So, what's, where are we at right now? Seek God faithfully. Define the vision clearly. Make plans carefully. And number four, inspire people passionately. Inspire people passionately. Um, soon, next week, we're going to be hearing about all of the difficulties that Nehemiah faced, the burdens, the, the attacks, and all of that. And in those moments, it's so important that what we actually see is that Nehemiah still consistently was inspiring a group of people to join him in this mission. If we want to make a difference, if we want to do the good work, we have to inspire other people. We have to not just lead them, we have to encourage them to join us. Allow your heart to show. Allow your passions to be heard and seen. You're probably sitting on something you've never voiced to anyone before, something you care deeply about. Turn to that person and say, you know what? I, I care about this. I don't even know what that means, but, I, but I'm, I'm at least going to invite you into this. I'm going to share with you a little bit of my passion. Because when people come together, that's when plans explode into beautiful things and God is able to work and do amazing things when we collaborate with one another as we are attentive to the Holy Spirit. In Nehemiah 7, or 2, 17 to 18, um, that he notices, he has just, so this is what happened, Nehemiah has just come into the city and he's done a survey of the land. He's like looked around at night, he kind of looked, checked everything out, and then he turns to his group of friends and people that are with him and he says, we're in trouble. We're actually in a pretty bad spot. Um, I really appreciate, appreciate his authenticity in this moment. He's telling it like it is. He's not sugarcoating. He's like, yeah, my suspicion was correct. These walls are bad and these gates are terrible, and if a nation wanted to come and take us over and conquer us, they'd have no problem. This is bad. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and the gates have been burned with fire. Then what does he say? Um, he turns and he says, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. This is a moment of passion and inviting other people into it, because it's right after that that the workers turn and said, yep, let's do it. Let's fix this. Let's go after this project. And it's those moments that are so important that you take the risk to actually share with other people what's going on in your heart and say, I see this. Let's do this. God is with us in this plan. We've seen God being faithful step by step by step. My dad, fast forward. Um, so this was in, in 2015. He sees that image and his heart is broken. And he says, I'm going to do something about this. A while later, a woman from his church 
also had seen that photo and they're just, God had been wor working and she anonymous, anonymously comes up and says, I'd like to do something about the Syrian refugee crisis. And she was willing to do a matching donation of $30,000. And that instantly, my dad was like, this is such a grace. Because only a couple, couple weeks later did he find out that about $30,000 is like the minimum for starting a sponsorship. And uh, through a series of events, and I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but God orchestrated that his church was able to connect with a church in Lebanon, which was able to connect with a family in Syria, and they were successfully able to bring a persecuted family of five out of Syria and Lebanon to Canada and of, have been working with them and helping them. Um, they, call, they call my dad, like, Papa, and it touches my heart because these Kurdish people were persecuted heavily because they were a minority. They're a minority of a minority. They were Christian Kurdish people, and there was no space for that in ISIS. And by God's grace, they've been basically adopted into our family. And, my, and it started with a man with a passion, and he had no clue. He, he had no idea who to talk to and how to talk about it, but God worked through it moment by moment, years later, and here's this family on a journey here in Canada, and God's grace has clearly been a part of the whole process. Friends, I just want to encourage you. There is a good work that we can do. There are good things. Don't be afraid to voice it. Don't be afraid to start talking about it. Don't wait for the perfect plan. Start, to, start working on it now. Uh, John Wesley, um, uh, an old scholar, said this, and I really like it. He said, light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come for miles to watch you burn. And I was like, well, that's a bit dramatic. But I really like the picture. Like, uh, Holy Spirit, allow us to be so aflame with your presence and your passion that people come from miles around to see what's going on. Friends, this is a season for us to rise up and do the work that God is calling us to do. And I know it's big, I know it's hard, I know it's scary, but I really believe that God can do it for us and with us. Are you an ordinary person? You don't feel qualified, you don't feel prepared? Congratulations, you are the perfect type of person that God desires to use. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, your people, who are called by your name, we humble ourselves before you and we acknowledge that the plans that you might be birthing in us, that you might be calling out of us, are bigger than ourselves. They're scary. They, they involve vulnerability and risk. But you are great. You are good and you're with us. Lord, help us to seek you faithfully. Help us to have a clear vision. Help us to plan carefully. Help us to inspire others and invite others in. Lord, we need you in this journey. And we are so excited to be able to take some steps in whatever direction you might be calling us as families, as individuals, as communities of friends, and as a church. Lord, we love you and we adore you. Amen. Friends, uh, before you leave, um, when we 
when, we, when I finish, there's going to be a screen, and it's just going to review the four points. Um, it's going to offer a question and kind of an, an ask. And I would just invite you to turn to whoever's beside you and just take the next 30 seconds to just maybe spend a little bit of time talking about this. Okay? So the, may, may the Lord go with you. May he strengthen you. May he encourage good conversations in your homes, wherever you're at. And we are looking forward to seeing you back here next week. God bless.